Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. It's time for Come and Talk It with your host, Michael Cargill, brought to you by Texas Law Shield. Over the last decade, Michael has championed and supported the rights of law-abiding Texans to own and use firearms. He is the owner of Central Texas Gunworks, a veteran of the United States Army, and has achieved national exposure in such prestigious media outlets such as Forbes Magazine, Fox Business News, CNN Money, AOL, BBC World News, Huffington Post, and the New York Times. Cargill vigorously defends lawful gun ownership in this country without regard to party politics. And now, here's Michael Cargill. Good day, Austin, Texas, live music capital of the world. You know, it is a beautiful day out there today. You know, the clouds are clear, nice, bright sun. We can see downtown Austin. And you know what? The Austin, the uh, what is it? The Austonian? It is no longer the tallest building in the skyline for the city of Austin. The Jenga building is... Is now, that what it's called? Well, that's... I don't know. That's what I call it. It looks like the Jenga building. Apparently, they've broken ground on one that's going to be even taller than that. So the Jenga building will have like a year and a half, I guess. Seriously? Being the tallest. Yeah. Really? How do you know this? Tell me. I think there was an article in The Statesman, right? Really? Uh, this past week. Yeah. No, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's going to be a hotel. So the I think Jenga... Uh, is it Fifth and Brazos? I, I think say. so. Yeah. Right? That sounds right. Wow, I, t- I tell you, they're they're moving up. They're moving in. They're uh, they're closing in on us. That that is crazy. Wow, that is wild. Okay, uh, well, we're scheduled to have the uh, an Austin police officer. I'm sorry, Dallas police officer. Uh, that's supposed to tell us about what's going on in Dallas. Uh, we're still trying to get in touch with him. We'll see what we can do on the next break because apparently there's some stuff going on in Dallas. You know, in Dallas, uh, the police officers in Dallas are really upset because their pension is in it's in danger. They're, they're, uh, it's, there's a problem with them possibly losing their pension because other officers that have been there for years are now retiring. And new officers that are coming on and officers that are still there today may not have a pension when their time is to retire. So there's a problem there. Also. We have Nelson Linder. He's the head of the NAACP for the city of Austin, well, for Austin, Texas area. And so he's going to talk to us about what's going on, because apparently, you know, there's some discrimination concerns amid the city equity office. So we need to find out what's going on with the city equity office. We need to find out what's going on with the city of Austin and what's happening there. 
And also, I'd like to kind of bridge this gap between the gun community and the NAACP and the black community. And also, campus carry. That's right. That case went before the, uh, uh, I forget what the court was, uh, but that case went before uh, the appeal. And guess what? Well, it's upheld. Campus carry is here to stay because it, the judge found that the people that, that brought that case didn't have a dog in that fight. Campus carry is here to stay. There's no reason why license holders should be able to carry a handgun on a college campus, according to the way the legislature has laid it all out. So we're going to talk about that and more. We got a lot to talk about. But you know what? Nelson Linder from the NAACP. Sir, welcome to Come and Talk It. Hey, thank you. Glad to be here. Uh, Absolutely, sir. You know, and, and, you know, we go back and forth. You know, we get upset <laughs> with each other. We yell and scream at each other. But you know what? I kind of like to bridge that gap. You know, I want to see what we can do to work together because, you know, I go back to like the 1800s. You know, right. I've talked to my great, great grandparents. I've talked to my great uh, grandfather uh, before he died. And he laid a lot of things out to me. You know, he said, you know, and he always carried a gun. And so. You know, I, I, I want to make sure that, you know, am I on the right track? Am I doing the right thing? Am I losing the eyes of the prize? Because what I've found that, you know, listening to my, my ancestors is that the reason we have gun control is because you have a group of people that decided that they did not want freed slaves to have access to firearms. And so I decided, you know what, I'm not going to follow the status quo. I'm not going to let someone dictate what I can own or what I can have. I'm a responsible citizen. I'm an outstanding citizen. There's no reason why I can own a firearm. And there's no reason why law enforcement can't treat me like the man that I am who can responsibly handle a firearm. So I decided, you know what, I'm going to teach other people, including other black people, how to carry a firearm. I want to teach them how to you know, what are some of the laws? And so they know, you know, what they need to do when it comes to carrying a gun. And so that's what I did. And I wanted to change that narrative a little bit. I don't want to be that person that's on the news. I don't want to be that statistics. I don't want to be that person that, you know, that you see that's being arrested. So, no, I don't want any of that stuff. I want to make sure that, hey, you know what? We can do this. We can do this right. There's no reason why the black community, uh, African-Americans or whatever you want to call us, you know, are able to own a firearm and be you know, productive citizens in this society. And so that's why I wanted to bring uh, Nelson Linder on the show to talk about you know, what's going on with the city of Austin. We have gentrification that's going on. There's this crazy, I mean, it's just madness where we have you know, there a, a number of blacks that are leaving the city of Austin in droves. What's happening? And no, no one seems to care. You know, we're losing Austin. Austin is losing its shape. It's losing its, you know, what it what it was. We're losing. Why, why are they leaving? I don't know. Oh, okay. Mr. Um, Linder? We're going to address that. Uh, okay. Hey, first of all, thank you. A little history. Um, back in 2005, the NACP started a thing called the African-American Quality of Life. We were addressing discrepancies in education, economics, employment, housing. Back then, said, look, we're losing a lot of folks based on the cost of living, and frankly, folks are being evicted. Let's address that in terms of policy and funding. That was 2005. This is 2018. Well, well, nothing has happened, and the displacement has continued. So the mayor came out with a thing called Institutional Task Force on Racism, studied what we already know, finished it, and did nothing. 
So we're having these conversations, and yet black folks are still being pushed out. They can't make the same amount of money, opportunities, but we're doing nothing to address it policy-wise. So we're trying to say, look, get off the policy, look at the reality. What are you going to do? It's not that complicated. Folks need jobs, they need money, and opportunities. Black folks don't have that. And besides that, there's a lot of racism and discrimination at City Hall between uh, folks that empower their and, and African-American employees. We need to address that. So we came down to, we going to do the press conference, said, look, let's address the complaints here. Yeah, this proportion against black people. You've done nothing about it, but talk about it. Let's come up with some solutions. That's a short story. All right. So we have Nelson Linder here. He's going to talk to us about what's going on with the NAACP and what's going on with the city of Austin. You're going to talk about bridging that gap between the black community and the gun community, because there's a huge gap there. You know, whenever you see these protests or these, you know, activist movements where you have a lot of people downtown uh, and saying, you know what, we have the Second Amendment, we have Second Amendment rights. Why do I not see a large, you know, group of black Americans at these events? And I think that is a problem. So we need to talk about that bridge and that gap. We're going to talk about more. We're going to talk about the Dallas Police Department. We're going to talk about police officers around the state of Texas who are standing down. They're standing down because, you know what, you have leadership in different cities that are not taking care of our police departments and our, our police officers. And so they're not enforcing the law. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk It. This is Brittany Glaze, and I get my global gun news from Michael Cargill on Come and Talk It. Listen to Talk 1370 anytime, anywhere on the Radio.com app. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now here's Michael Cargill. All right, let's praise the Lord and pass the ammunition. That's what I'm talking about. All right, so we have Nelson Linder. He's the NAACP chair or president? President of the NAACP. 18, 18 years. Wow. 18 years with, nice. with Austin. With Austin. Wow. wow. That's impressive. All right, that's impressive. 18 years with Austin. He's the NAACP president. That's correct. All right. And so we have him in the in the in the studio. But before we get back to Mr. Linder, let's go to Nick. Nick is uh, Nick. Are you with the Dallas Police Department or are you retired? No, no, I'm still an active officer. Okay, so Nick is an active officer, you know, and I'm always hesitant to have active officers on the show because I don't want you to get in trouble. You know, I, I love my police officers. I don't want you to get in, in any type of trouble where you get fired or something like that. So. I want to make sure you're careful. We don't, you know, put you in, in danger. Oh, no, no. Listen, I, I'm very grateful for that. But what I'm doing, I'm doing because I have a biblical mandate to do. I, I love the Lord. It's a privilege to stand where I do stand. And, uh, you know, my talking points are very controversial because, uh, uh, you know, active cops generally don't speak to them. But, uh, again, when you love the Lord and you feel uh, you're led to speak certain things, you're going to do what uh, he wants you to do. All right, so Nick, tell me what is happening in Dallas because you know here we are in Austin, Texas. We're in the capital. You have the governor listening. You have the lieutenant governor. You have people in all those little offices that are right now listening to you. What do you want to tell them that's happening because they don't know what's going on in Dallas. So you know there are a lot of people here that don't know. So tell us from the beginning what is happening in Dallas. Well, let me and I'll be succinct, but let me say in August of uh, 2017, I went before the Dallas City Council. 
And I said, uh, you no longer have a viable policing function in Dallas. I said, I didn't mean it to be. Okay, we're losing you just a little bit, so make sure you're standing in a good spot. Later, we're a thousand officers short. We have no vice unit, a very small gang unit. I'm in possession of hundreds of call sheets that had the entry call expired, no units available. So you can call and say you're watching someone be beaten or you, you've just watched someone rob that knife point and we're not coming. We're right, so simply let, not coming. So let me translate that for people that are listening. So you're telling me that when I call 911 and I'm asking for an officer to come assist me because I'm being assaulted, you're saying that no officers are available. That's that's entirely correct. That's bottom line. Yes. Why is that? Well, and, and I want to qualify my response. I This is T. Broadnax is the city manager. The okay. scenario that I'm describing played out in Tacoma, Washington, under his tenure there as city manager. What, what they're doing is that we have the tax dollars in place to pay first responders in Dallas, Texas. Those funds are largely being diverted into peripheral projects and handshake deals at the expense of the public. Now, what's hid, and I want to qualify this, the uh, narrative coming out of the Dallas Police Department proper is that everything is still copacetic, and that's an outright lie. Now, my question to you or anyone else that says, wait a minute, this is an active cop? Yes, I'm active, and the reason I haven't even been called on the carpet is because my narrative is, is totally founded on truth. Especially in minority areas of Dallas, in Dallas, they're not getting any police protection, none. You have rampant gang warfare, prostitution off the charts, and uh, people are becoming aware of it. I'm, I'm getting calls now because I've spoken on Rick Roberts' show on WBAP. I'm getting calls from people that ask me to show up with my proof, and then when I do show up and show them, they get very upset with the fact that they've been played for fools by the mayor and the city manager. Wow. Okay, so I want to make sure I have this right now. So you're saying that the city manager, the mayor, they're not doing their job. And we have we have a rash of Dallas police officers and who, by the way, went through quite a bit. You know, you've gone to a different chief. You've gone through a, 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 a hectic shooting event and some other events after that. And you're saying that these officers, you know, one they're not being treated right, so that's why they're retiring. And also, officers that are being trained are – you also have officers that are leaving the department and going to other cities that are surround the Dallas – that surround the Dallas area. Oh, you're right on the mark with that. Let me say that when our city manager tells the folks that, listen, we want to judiciously hire, he's being very disingenuous when you're hiring – Salary, your starting salary is 15 to 20 percent less than the Metroplex cities. So you can once again say we want to do something, but you're not you're not uh, intending to do it. Now, you might say, Nick, why would that be? Let me tell you very quickly why that is. And this is bottom line. And what I think has the mayor and the city manager are concerned. They want to starve the Dallas police uh, pension fund and then morph it into a 401k. Well, in order to do that, you've got to start it. That's why they are not hiring. And because they're not hiring, the city doesn't have to kick in their contributions. And so let me say this, we are losing $10 million a month 
in our city pension. And in seven to nine, ten years, the fund will be finished. And then they can go ahead and more, bring in a minimalist pension fund. And let me say this to you, sir, because they keep telling the public there's no money. When, when this week city councilman Kingston admitted on radio the funds are here. They're just not being used for police and fire. The funds are here. So, okay, I'm, I'm confused. So the money is there, but you're saying it's not being used. Why? Well, because, for instance, uh, one example is a lot of money is going into projects that, again, I'm not saying illegalities are occurring, but certainly unethical things. They're taking monies that were earmarked for police and fire, and they're using those monies for public parks, uh, peripheral projects, handshake deals. And if you said, Nick, give me an example of a handshake deal. Well, if you've got the airport here in Dallas, Executive Airport, and it needs uh, 15 to $20 million in repair, you would think, okay, well, there are things in place, and I'm referring to the bidding process to make sure that that is bid out legally. Well, the mayor's on record is saying, well, I'm going to keep it clean. I'm not bidding it out. I'm just going to give it to someone. Really? That, that totally circumvents everything that makes the process fair and allows minority business concerns to bid as well. So you, you do not have Democratic government in Dallas, Texas. You have executive fiat ruling the city. Wow. So, uh, so you know, if I'm a regular citizen, you know, I might want to go out and buy myself a gun because, you know what, that tells me that the police department in Dallas is standing down. They're not working as hard as they normally would because, you know what, their leadership, their boss is not helping them out and, and making sure that they're going to be taken care of. So if I'm not going to be taken care of, then why should I work for this person? Well, you, you raise a, a really valid point. The young people, when I say young, but all of us that are still on the street are doing what we can with what we have. But here's a point I made this week, and I'm sure it upset the Dallas Police Department command staff, because uh, my point is simply this. The chief and her executive command staff are now culpable for sending us out in these denuded numbers to be mauled and killed. They really obviously don't care about us when they can say we can get the job done with officers that we have. No, we can't. Because, again, my, my narrative is driven by the fact that I'm in possession of all these call sheets that show stabbings, shootings, domestic violence. No police available to respond to these things. This is heinous. And this is, this is what's happening in Dallas, Texas. And you know what? I'm noticing this in Dallas, and I'm starting to notice this a little bit in Austin because we're starting to have that same problem because the Austin police officers don't have a contract. Mm-hmm. And so they don't have a mo- any motivation to do their job, you know, because they're not getting that overtime that they need. They're not getting those benefits that they're used to. So they're saying, you know what, I'm going to stand back. So just last night alone, we had someone OD and die at the arch, the homeless shelter. Then, you know what happened an hour later? An hour later, three other people, two or three other people actually, you know, passed out at the same spot that this guy died in. Because of K2, because of K2, and nothing is being done by the city of Austin. If you go right now, you know what? Don't take my word for it. You know what? Michael, fake news. Michael is fake news. Don't take my word for it. I dare you to go right now to I-35 and 6th Street. Go to that, you know, the parking garage right there on I-35 and 6th Street. I promise you, you will see someone laying on the ground right now. Trust me. Do it. I dare you. I, I, I dare live, you. I live downtown, and I've lived downtown for three years now. 
I've owned a business downtown for five years, and I can tell you personally, because I walk when I'm not at work, I walk <laughs> everywhere. The number of people I see passed out on the street has gone up significantly in downtown Austin, where it's almost getting kind of frightening for me to walk around because if they're not passed out, they are so strung out. It's bad. It's getting it's getting a lot worse. People downtown. are literally ODing in this town, just like Dallas. It's happening right here in Austin. As goes Dallas, we'll go the rest of the city in this in this state. And you know what? The mayor. The governor, the lieutenant governor, they're doing nothing. You're doing nothing. You have your Dallas police officers who are suffering right now. Your law enforcement officers, your Austin police officers are suffering right now. And your governor, your lieutenant governor are silent and they're doing nothing. Nothing. Now, this this is true, sir. I mean, unfortunately, it's amazing. that It's almost surreal that there's so much silence. But I tell people, if, if this is going to change, it'll come with a hue and cry from those that are affected and those that are affected and quite frankly the constituents in Dallas and Austin. I would ask you for one favor. Sure. I would ask you to tell people to look at Facebook, my Facebook page, Nick N I C K Novello, N O V E L O O. And the reason I do that is because obviously I want my narrative pushed. Now what's interesting Sir, is what's being done in Dallas, it will be exported to Austin, San Antonio, because eventually these people want to be able to boast that. Look at the hundreds of millions of dollars we've saved in morphing the police department into something different. But here's the point. The point is that you're going to go from a policing system of consent to one of coercion. Right now it's symbiotic. I'm dependent on you to do my job. But if we morph into this monstrosity that may very well be coming, I will be telling you what to do, or the consequences will be you're a lawbreaker. All right, hold on, Nick. Hold going. on, Nick. We're talking with Nick. He's a Dallas police officer. We're talking with the uh, president for the NAACP of Austin. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk It. This is Chloe on the Noir, and you're listening to Come and Talk It with Michael Cargill. Sound off on the news of the day with the Talk Poll. Online at Talk1370.com. Talk 1370, the right choice. Welcome back. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now here's Michael Cargill. That's right. We're back and we're talking about Dallas. We're talking about the Dallas mayor. We're talking about the Dallas Police Department. We're talking about the city of Austin and the Austin Police Department. You know what? We're having this thing where police officers around the state are starting to stand down. They're not doing their job as hard as they possibly could or can because there's no motivation there because you know what? They're not being taken care of. They don't have the benefits they need. They are not getting those stipings that they're used to. And so they're suffering. They're starting to suffer a little bit because they're not able to take care of their family as much. And now on Friday, we, on Thursday, we had a shooting here in Austin on Thursday night where, you know, and a lot of people are upset. Oh my God, how in the world could eight officers, eight police officers shoot one guy? Well, you know what? Here's how it happens. You know, the way it's all set up on sixth street, you know, you have a group of eight officers that sit at the block on sixth street. And I actually, you know what, I want to know, you know, I'm one of those people that, you know what, I'm from Missouri, the show me state. So I'm like, show me, because I need to know how this stuff happens. So I did a ride along the day after. On Friday, I did a ride along. I wanted to know how in the world can eight officers shoot one guy? I'm like, oh, my God, that's just insane to me. 
Eight police officers shoot one guy. Here's how it happens. Well, you know what? They're stationed at blocks, and there are eight officers each block. So you had this idiot literally shooting someone run through the alley, and he ran into those eight officers that were stationed at that intersection. And they turned around, saw this guy with a gun, and so they blew him away. <laughs> and that's how it happens. You know, very simple to me. So uh, totally justified. Now, the only question I have is the one officer that shot the taser. So, you know what, I'm calling BS on that one. You know, you shot a taser. I'm willing to bet that that officer there did not fire one shot at all. And so later on down the road, he said, well, ooh, I didn't fire a shot. Let me, let me discharge my taser. So I'm calling BS on that one. So you can, you can dislike me if you want. If, if you want to, I call it like I see it. <laughs> so, you know, you got you know, to get in where you fit in. All right, so we have Nelson Linder uh, in, in studio, and he's the president for the NAACP for Austin. So, Nelson, what's your take on some of this stuff? Well, the most recent stuff, the shooting last week at 6th Street at uh, the, the terminal, was the Terminal 6. First of all, you got a very chaotic situation. You know, a lot of folks there dancing, drinking with guys, a fellow named NBA young boy, a young kid who has had a history of controversy. So, of course, at these events, fight starts. They go outside. Somebody shoots in the air. You got chaos. You got people shooting, people running. There's a danger, obviously, and the cops are around the corner. What's going to happen with that? Well, it's out of control. You're running around with a gun. Somebody's going to get killed. We can talk about how the police responded. That's a whole other conversation. The truth is, though, Terminal 6 is a problem. There's too many folks there, young, with guns, inside and outside, and fighting. That's always a bad scenario. And historically speaking, the past four years, you've had three or four bad shootings in the area downtown. So what's happening downtown? Too many folks down there, out of control, drinking and fighting. That's a bad scenario. We've had another young black man killed uh, two years ago. And an innocent civilian was killed three years ago from Frisco visiting Austin. She was downtown and got shot. Bullet went up, came down and killed her in the head. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's bad things happening downtown 6th Street. We need to address the situation. Therefore, we stop somebody killing. We have mm-hmm. to address the environment first. And again, it's policing, but it's also support. All right, so let me go back to Nick real quick before we cut you loose, Nick, uh, with the Dallas Police Department. So, Nick, you know, what do we need to do as regular citizens? How can we help the Dallas Police Department and making sure these officers are, you know, they're getting the just due. They're being recognized. They they get, you know, what they deserve as far as being, you know, awesome officers who are protecting and serving. Well, you know, for starters, the one thing that we're not doing in Dallas is we're not having any conversations to define the problems at all. You know, uh, our chief is on record as saying she really doesn't want to discuss problems. She just wants to discuss solutions. Well, you, you can't discuss a solution until you define the problem. You know, the the, uh, the guest that you have, the gentleman uh, just now who spoke uh, very astutely, said that um, we, we need to work together. We really need to work together, especially with the minority communities. In Dallas, the minority communities are receiving no police protection. And I'm being called by some of the uh, African-American leaders who are quite frankly saying, you know what, Nick? Um, And we see that. We see that uh, prostitution on Channel 3 is is rampant. The the, uh, crime is being driven by gangs that are not being called to account because we don't have but a small, small gang unit. uh, Our chief disbanded the vice unit last year, and we still don't have a vice unit, so we had prostitutes and pimps coming in from out of state and setting up shop in Dallas, Texas. The only thing that will change this, and you alluded to it earlier, when people like ourselves who do the living, the dying, and the paying the taxes, when we say enough of this, uh, we elected you to do our mandate. You're doing yours, and you're, you you have your own agenda. That's going to stop. When we hold them accountable, that that'll it'll be a beginning. 
I, I agree with you 100%, you know, because we need to do something. Because uh, when you have, and honestly, the Supreme Court has actually ruled that law enforcement have no duty uh, to enforce the law. They only have a general duty, well, actually, no duty to, you know, protect the public. They have a general duty to enforce the law. And the Supreme Court ruled on that. No, you're entirely right. We know that in Warren versus the uh, District of Columbia, it was established. You don't have a constitutional right to police protection. Let, let me say this. This is where the cities are very concerned. You, you, you pay taxes. X amount of those dollars are earmarked for first responders. So contractually, there's an obligation. There's a, an implied contractual instrument that they need to honor. So when you call for PD and we don't show, you may not have a constitutional right, mm. but monetarily speaking, you've paid taxes knowing you're paying to maintain a viable policing function, and it's viable, you can call them to account based on that argument, and they have to respond to that. So what you're saying is you're not standing down. It's not that you're standing down. You don't have the resources. You don't have enough officers on the street. You don't have enough backup to make sure that when you go into an area, when you go into a dangerous situation, you don't, you don't have someone standing back there that's backing you up. No, no, we, we, we don't. Uh, and it's, it's become, and I use terminology like this when I speak. L- listen to this, Michael, you'll find this fascinating. Look, I got this from a, a fireman about four hours ago. This is what the dispatcher told him last night. Listen to this. On the way back, and I quote, on the way back from a run around 2 a.m., I heard an engine company call on the radio for the Dallas Police Department Code 3 emergency for people fighting on the scene and due to not having enough police to respond the dispatcher replied the police say if you're in danger to run away oh my goodness can you imagine that i'm reading you that 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 was sent so you're telling me you're telling me dallas police officer you're telling me that the the dallas uh, fire department called for help they called for help and the dispatcher said you know what run yeah that's what i'm telling you wow that's what I'm telling you. Governor they, Abbott, yeah, where are you? Are you listening to this, Governor? Anyone in Governor Abbott's office, are you guys listening to this? Uh, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick, are you guys listening to this? You mean to tell me that our fire, our fire department, our fire you know, officers are being attacked and they're being told by dispatchers to run? This is insane. This is correct, sir. You hit that on the head. I'm reading you from uh, the, the message I was sent from these uh, fire folks but that's that's part and parcel what's being suppressed and kept from the public everything's copacetic as far as the public is concerned because the dpd and city narrative is being driven by outright lies mm. Mm. all right you know what nick i thank you for coming on the show today for telling us what's going on in dallas uh, and the fact that we need something to happen here at the capital city, because this is something that's affecting all police departments around the state. It's not just Dallas. It's happening in Austin. Uh, this incompetence is happening in Houston. It's happening everywhere. And we need our legislature to step in and do something about it. We need the governor to step in and do something about it. We need the lieutenant governor to step in about it. Either, you know, step up to the plate, lead the way, or just, you know, just get out of our way and let license holders, you know what? Just buy yourself a gun. If they're not going to handle it, go out there and buy yourself a gun. Take your own personal safety in your own hands. That's what I say. Thank you for having me on. Absolutely, sir. Thank you for coming on. Okay, bye-bye. All right. So let me go to uh, Nelson Linder, who is the president for the NAACP here for Austin. So, Nelson, man, this is a lot. This is a lot. It's a whole lot. And also, my quick analysis, 
Even with the Austin Police Department, you have a new city council under 10-1. It's to not know the responsibilities. They don't have any leadership. Under your old system, at-large system, they would have solved this problem at its inception. You can't explain why a city has a police department with no contract for a whole year that expires on New Year's Eve. How insane can you be? But without leadership and, and fortitude, you can't solve these problems. So in Austin, Texas, it's getting worse right now. It's the same thing. You've got to have folks in power who understand the responsibility of public safety and also the balance. We have to make sure we take care of public safety. At the same time, we can also invest in social ills and social causes. You can do both. It's not one versus the other. But without leadership, it's not going to happen. We have the same problem coming in Austin, Texas. It's an urgency, but it's also it's solvable with the right people in power. Mm. All right. So, Nelson, so tell me, you know, let's let's back up a little bit. So I sure. want to talk about uh, – you know, the Second Amendment, and because there's this disconnect between the black community when it comes to, you know, responsible gun ownership. And you're saying, you know what, there are guns in the black community. I'm saying also that there, there's a misconception based on our history, Michael. Let's, let's face it, that was a time when a black woman with a gun was dangerous, especially at the inception of this republic. Let's be honest about that. But in reality, I'm from Georgia. My parents owned guns. I bought my first gun when I was 15 years old. We lived closer to KKK. Guns were not a problem. My dad was a hunting fisher. We were taught responsible firearm use. So that's a misnomer. There's a book by Robert Williams called Negroes and Guns. Yeah. NACP guy had a whole chapter fighting the KKK. Guns were not the problem. But there are political differences between the folks who promote these, these guns and the folks who don't like the black community. Let's face it. We suffer disproportionately from gun violence. I talk a lot about gun safety. The, the truth is, in my home and my community, my greatest threat is not some guy with a gun to come into my house, although that's a threat. It's somebody y'all know, and oftentimes accidents. Let's be clear about that, who's being killed and why they're being killed. I believe in gun ownership. I also believe in gun safety and gun training. And you know, in the military, if you ever lost your weapon, you were going to be kicked out of the military. There's a lot of responsibility that comes to owning a gun. Great we're not, responsibility. We're not, we're not addressing that, okay? We're not, and some of the young black guys I've talked to, I tell them all the time, look, if you got a gun and you're licensed, that doesn't give you any power. Let's be clear about that. If you're insecure without a gun, you're insecure with one. So let's make sure we understand the training aspect is that you use self-defense. But getting a gun and being, uh, what is it, uh, Audie Murphy or John Wilson Hart is not going to work in 2018. It's too dangerous. So let's make sure you use self-defense the right way under these laws and make sure, I think personally, you do have a duty to retreat. I don't want to see anybody kill anybody. You don't have to now, but I suggest if you got a problem, if you can't retreat, do so and save yourself and somebody else. If you can't, do what you got to do. I'm not anti-gun. I'm anti-gun violence. That's unnecessary. Right. And I think you're talking about that, that, that case that happened in Florida. Absolutely. And we'll talk about that when we come back from the break. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk It. Folks, this is Doug Man Jones. <laughs> and I get my gun news from Michael Cargill at Come and Talk It. Catch up on the latest headlines anytime at Talk1370.com. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now here's Michael Cargill. All right, so we're talking about what happened in Florida now. We're going to change gears a little bit. So in in Florida, North Florida, you had a, a guy that was... You know, in a parking lot, and a couple pulled up into the parking lot, parked in the uh, handicapped parking space. 
The boyfriend gets out with his son, goes into the store. He comes out of the store, and he sees a gentleman standing there arguing with his girlfriend because the gentleman saw them park in the parking, uh, I'm sorry, handicapped parking space, and he had some words with the lady. So when he came outside, he saw this guy arguing with his girlfriend, and so he goes up and he pushes the guy. He pushes him so hard, he knocks him to the ground. And so the, the guy that fell to the ground pulled out his gun, shot, and killed him. And so that's what we're talking about, the stay in your ground law. The stay in your ground law in Texas, well, in Texas, because this is not Florida, in Texas says, hey, you have a right to be there. Uh, you didn't provoke that person. You're not committing a crime. And then, you know, then, hey, you're justified and in, 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 you can stand your ground. You have no duty to retreat. So, and there are a couple things with that, you know, and I'm going to let uh, Mr. Linder talk about his thoughts on that first. I think, first of all, the sheriff came to the scene and said, look, under our law, this is um, this is legitimate. Well, he's not the prosecutor, thank God. Later, they said, wait a minute, we're going to indict this guy because he had a history of antagonizing people. So they got him. And that's why I say that she has to be a higher standard. I don't think you should be walking around provoking folks, shooting and killing people because somebody pushed you, frankly. But that's my point of view. On the other hand, to the young brother who did that, you know, I tell young folks all the time, you have to keep your hands off people. You, you can't do that. It's just not going to work because nowadays folks are armed. And once you create an emotional situation, somebody winds up being dead. But think back. A parking space, somebody's dead with two or three kids. It's not worth it. So I'm saying in many cases, be the bigger person. I get I get challenged all the time about my views, what I do. You know what? If you're not in my space, I'm okay. I'm not insecure. There are a lot of folks out there who are dangerous with guns. And if you provoke them, somebody's going to get hurt. That's my concern. Not just the law, but what we as a society overall in terms of how we treat each other. I think that's a bigger issue. Now, I think what he's saying, you know, what you're saying is what's right, there's right, then there's wrong. Right. All right, so the law says, hey, you know, you can stand your ground. But you know what? In the bigger scheme of things, you know, you're a license holder. You know, you see, you know, even if you're a regular citizen, it doesn't matter. You see something going on that's wrong. Why get involved? Why not contact the police and let the police handle that situation instead of getting out of your vehicle and confronting someone and, take, and, and taking the law into your own hands? You're not a one-armed security team trained to clear an entire building. You say, hey, you see something wrong, something's not right, then call the police. Let the police handle that situation. You know, document it, you know, and, and then, you know, go from there. But getting out of your vehicle, confronting someone, and then they come outside, and then on the same side, don't come out and put your hands on someone. You knock this guy to the ground, and he's standing, you're standing over him, he's laying on the ground, he perceives you as someone who's trying to kill him, then he's justified under the law to stop you. And so, you know, it goes, it kind of goes both ways. You know, we have that responsibility to, as a society, to be nice and polite to each other. And we need to, you know, go that extra step. For some reason, you two have come in contact with each other and something's going on, whether it's road rage, whether it's something else, but something is happening and someone's really upset. Someone needs to take the upper hand and let it go. Just let it back down and let it go. It's not that serious. It's something so minor that we've escalated to the point where someone has lost their life. That would be 10 seconds, 15 seconds, or 20 seconds that would change your life forever. I promise you. And those are the things that we teach in class. We teach this in class, you know, and, and you know, and Florida doesn't, they don't have a class where you go over this type of thing, you know, but we do have this in Texas. You know, come, come see me. Come take my class. You know, let's talk about some of the different scenarios. And I promise you, by the time you leave that class, you will think twice before you pull that gun out and use it. Because that will be 10 seconds or 15 seconds or 20 seconds that will change your life forever. 
I promise you that. All right, so we're talking with the president for the NAACP with Austin. And, you know, Nelson, uh, Mr. Linder, what's happening with the city of Austin with the city manager? Because there's some staffing issues going on there. You know, what's going on here? Well, I think we have a very young, inexperienced city manager who's taking his his, uh, info from the mayor. The mayor is running the city, although it's not his job. This is a council manager's form of government. And in my opinion, Spencer Crunk was hired with an agenda, which is to make the city basically a strong mayor form of government. He doesn't know anything. He doesn't know the budget. So when he changed his staff by essentially dismissing his his five assistants and managers, he promoted two other people who we we can talk about briefly, Drew Canale, who's white, and Lane Hart, who's white and incompetent. Those folks got promotions, but the other folks got dismissed. We have a problem with that. And we had talked to Crunk about having more diversity in the city of Austin. Well, that's not taking place. But the real problem is not Spencer Crunk. He's an order taker. He's very inexperienced. You can find a guy in Minneapolis. Now he's running a city like Austin, Texas, and taking the orders from the uh, from, from the mayor and also uh, an incompetent city council. So we have a mess in this city. And so the black employees feel like they've been harassed. It's been going on for two years. When I went down and did the press conference, all of a sudden we get some solutions. Well, why does it take me to go downtown to get justice? Why can't the city council wait a minute? If you're treating people improperly, let's address this and stop it right now. We have values down here. Nobody was doing that. So it's out of control. But based on the press conference, now all of a sudden, we've got negotiations and conversations. Well, you should have did that two years ago. So the equity office uh, was being harassed. Code enforcement was being harassed. Human resources was being harassed. And those folks are all black department heads. It's a problem. And at the same time, you're talking about task forces on racism. Really? Task forces on racism? Just tell folks how to treat people and enforce the law. It's, it's, it's incredible. It's incredible. I find it amazing that the city loves getting involved in small businesses around the city of Austin when they can't even keep their own house in order. It's, and, it baffles me. And they just lost the case uh, with the – well, they didn't lose it, but there's uh, the, the case of the um, – God, what was it? It's the uh, – The paid sick leave? Yeah, the paid sick leave. So something just happened with that. This week, anyone remember? Well, it got appealed, actually, and 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 basically stopped it. They halted it. The uh, yeah, they halted the enforcement of that of, of folks giving paid sick leave. But also, remember, also now, Michael, that um, code next. We defeated code next. Mm-hmm. So these guys are being beat in court everywhere you look. So the question really is, then, <laughs> then why, why are you why, why are you doing this? Really, what's yeah. what's the point? Sounds like the city of Austin needs to take their attorneys out there and just fire them. <laughs> just fire your attorneys. They're giving you bad legal advice. You can't even win. You can't win not one case in court. Look, let me pose a question, okay? Outside of the law, as a human being, if you and I have an issue, why can't we talk and try to address it? Why can't people demand that folks treat people correctly? Why is it such a difficult thing to do? Mm. Like a leadership, mm. yeah, the mayor has done nothing. The city council has done nothing. Now, all of a sudden, everybody wants to talk. Well, again, you have rules and regulations. You have a, you have a city manager form of government. You can address discrimination, but you, you don't engage people. But you want to have a task force for two years? You want to address racial inequity with no money? You want to address housing with no money? But yet you can find a, a soccer stadium just like that with all this money? That, that's the problem right there. Why soccer? Why not inequity? Why not housing? Mm. Now, all right, so let me ask you this, Mr. Linder. So at what point... Is the black community, at what point is the NAACP going to start, you know what, saying, you know, maybe we should start um, supporting some libertarian candidates or maybe we should start supporting some Republican candidates because we're we're putting the same people in office year after year after year and we're expecting different results. Well, a good question. But here's my question. What is the libertarian platform? You know, I mean, what is the Republican platform? If you have a platform that doesn't include me, 
we can't deal with that. So I would say when you had a platform under Abraham Lincoln, that was a long, 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 long time ago. We supported you. Where's your platform on social justice, civil rights, racial inequity? Libertarians have a lot of friends with libertarians. I like the denouncing of the Constitution, but they don't believe in social policy. So under your policy, I don't exist. Now, I have to exist. So what are you going to do to address my concerns? Because I agree. We need a multi-party system in this country that's responsive. And the Democratic Party obviously has been given too much power by the black community. But what's the alternative? Give me an alternative, and I'll take a look at it. All right, so let me ask someone who's with the Libertarian Party. You know, what's the alternative? Why should the black community, you know, turn to the Libertarian Party and give you their vote? Absolutely. I mean, I, I get uh, where you're coming from. We do tend to uh, feel that social issues should be addressed privately uh, because of the fact that the government has proven to be so inept at handling the situations over and over again. So we'd rather see uh, government stepping back, allowing for uh, entrepreneurs and uh you know, people able to start their own businesses, not having uh, barriers to the marketplace in that regard, able to take control of their financial freedom in that regard. And then seeing uh, your private organizations and charities that are actually accountable and successful at a lot of the things that they're doing to address social issues, uh, taking you know the lead on that as opposed to the government where it's just proven to be inept, um, corruptible, and a lot of waste going on there. So that's kind of you know our biggest uh, – solution in, in that regard is trying to see, you know, what we can do to get the government less involved in it because they've proven to be so inept at it. Let me give you a little hint. This is for both libertarians and republicans. If you guys have more of a social conscious and begin to address the issues that black folks face in this country, you're gonna get some attention. But until you address the racism that exists right now that nobody's addressing, it's not gonna happen. I'm very familiar with your platform. I like what you do. I still say though, you know, you can't just be you know, free enterprise and big business because big business has destroyed a lot of things as far as we're concerned. So as a government, is there a balance? Can your party address social inequities? And I think if we can have a conversation. I think folks are going to listen because the bottom line is I, I am not in love with the Democratic Party, but of all the alternatives, the, the ideas out there, they seem to be the better alternative despite what they do. And that's an arguable point. But in the meantime, there's nothing on the table. I don't see local Republicans talking to me about anything for the most part. I'm not interested in just big business. I don't see the libertarian. So I say put something on the table. Let's have more diversity because you don't have it right now. So I, I think there's a, there, there, is a, there is a place for a meaningful conversation. I'd love to, to explore that myself, frankly, because I think there are too many folks in office right now in the state of Austin who are Democrats who haven't done a damn thing. You know, I, you know, I had people that tell me, you know, Michael Cargill, why do you want to get into the gun business? You know, there are no black people that are into guns. I also had some people that were, you know, when I ran for office as a Democrat, uh, for constable in precinct two, I had the black Democrats tell me, Michael Cargill, why are you here? We don't want you here. No one wants you here. Why don't you leave? I actually had people tell me that, you know, and and but you know what? I didn't let any of that stuff stop me because I'm a strong person. I say, you know what? I'm going to move forward. I'm going to move forward. I'm going to make sure, you know, I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to find that determination. And what I find in, in the Republican Party and the Libertarian Party is, you know what? They're not enablers. I do see that in the Democrat Party, there are enablers. There are people that are in that party, in the Democrat Party, that are, for instance, you know, encouraging people to get abortions and things of that nature. I see, you know, I see the Democrat Party as an as a, as a organization that's actually killing the black community I by encouraging agree. them, you know, to get an abortion and things of that nature. We're going to talk about that more. We come back from the break. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk It. 
Hey, this is AWR Hawkins, Bright Bar News. You're listening to Come and Talk It with Michael Cargill. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now, here's Michael Cargill. All right, so we're back, and we're getting deep into this conversation now. That's why we call this Come and Talk It. So Skip Davis. Skip, you know, always gives me a lot of problems online. But you know what, Skip? All right, so Skip says, Michael, why don't you tell the audience about how well you were received, uh, how well received you were at the Republican convention? Well, you know what, Skip? It wasn't that the GOP didn't uh, had a problem with me being black. It, the problem was the GOP had a problem with me pushing a gay agenda or what they perceived to be a gay agenda. And that's what the problem was. You know, so eh, we don't have a problem with that. There are no issues. But you know what? You know what, Skip? Guess what? I won that fight. You know why? Because I'm a strong black male and I don't play that crap. You know, what? <laughs> that's that's how we roll here. And so yeah, we all we got that taken care of. We got that solved. And you know what? I'm a precinct chair with the Republican Party. You know, and I get I got everything that I wanted at the the Republican convention, the Texas Republican convention this year. We got some language removed from that. You know why? Because I'm a strong black male and homie don't play that. So let's keep it real. (laughs) All right. So let me go back to Nelson Linder. All right. So Nelson, well, you guys are having a conversation going back and forth here. So, you know, Janai, you had some things you were saying. Um, Yeah, I was just commenting on. Uh, my views of the Democratic Party and the Republican Party being for um, uh, African-Americans in this country. Um, I support school vouchers, and that's not something the Democratic Party supports. I think that gives young children an opportunity to go to to a better performing school, regardless of where they live. Um, And um, we were just going back and forth about that. Right, and I also say that the misnomer of welfare, the original recipients were white. White folks needed welfare during the New Deal. You got oh, yeah, it. there's more white people got on welfare yeah, currently but you, than but you people, got it. for sure. You got assistance and you're on your feet. See, for black folks, we never had that. We never had a chance to get support and get on our feet. We had programs that were given to us that was taken by white people. That's the history of welfare in this country. And, and again, to be fair now, we're not just Democrats. When the Republican Party had a good platform, we dealt with it. We have to deal with racism in this country. When folks have done that, we've been fair. Look at the current administration. I mean, who in the right mind is going to support Donald Trump? That's bad for business. So what I'm saying is, show me a sensible person who might be progressive, who can work with all parties. I'm going to listen to that. Uh, so, so I'm not anti-Republican Party. I'm anti-your platform. I'm anti-your platform. I'm not pro-Democrat. But frankly, in 2018, I got their, their, their platform and do proper deduction. There's more there than on the other side. I'm more of an independent politically. But given the current reality, I'm going to choose what's best based on survival, which right now, is the Democratic Party. Do you think African Americans today are suffering from the same things that they were, say, you know, 50 years ago? I think some things we suffer from, but I can also tell you this. Over the past 100 years, we made a lot of progress in many things based on fairness. Things like, for example, the Civil Rights Act of 64, the Voting Rights Act. There's been a lot of progress. But when you come to a country and deal with 40 years of discrimination, clearly it's going to take a while to overcome some things. We're seeing more educational equity. We're seeing income gains in black businesses. So some things are right that are going on, but the clock is constantly being reset and set back, and that's been our challenge. We learned from Obama, who was not a magician, he was a human being, to Donald Trump. How do you explain that? That's a historical pattern. In 1877, we did the same thing. We had an era called Reconstruction where black folks made incredible progress, but guess what? They set it back. 
So there's challenges, and there's also there's lessons learned. I believe in best practices, regardless of the party. Well, well, I will preface by saying I didn't vote for Donald Trump. This is the first election I sat out because I didn't want to vote for Hillary Clinton either. Having said that, I have read recently and many times more than one publication that black incomes are up significantly since Trump has been in office, more so than in any other period, including Obama. What do you have to say about that? Well, that's not true. That's not true? That's not true. Keep in mind, when Barack Obama became president, we were in a recession. It took him his whole term, his whole term, essentially, to rebuild this economy. Now, Trump's in office a year and a half. You don't rebuild the economy a year and a half. What Trump is getting right now is some of the abominable effect. He, He can't change the whole economy a year and a half. It took Obama eight years to rebuild this nation. He did that. So right I, I now you're saying the benefits. Well, 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 name me one president historically who's built an economy in a year and a half. Donald Trump is on a well, wave of success that he didn't even create. Uh, and not, well, not in two years, you're going to see the Trump impact. It's starting to happen right now. But he can't claim credit for this because this was set in stone before he even became president. I, I, I can't say everything because I'm, I, I'm certainly not that informed that I know every single thing that he's done. But I can say something that I do pay close attention to, which is the stock market. Um the stock market has gone up tremendously since Donald Trump's been in office. And I, I watch it on a daily basis because I have a substantial amount in the stock market. So I'm paying very close attention. And oftentimes it's because it's a deal that he's worked out. And I can't say that Obama can even remotely get any credit for that. Look at the stock market on Obama. But you say deal. It was a, 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 a deal. No, well, not, not, <laughs> not really. Not for certain people. A deal for who? Of course. Let's face it. Who runs, well, but who runs Wall Street? Let's be honest about yes, that. Yes, okay? the so, elite so if, run Wall so Street. If you, if, you the, feed, if you feed the elite. You know that, what's going to happen? That's, that's incorrect what no, you're saying. The no, elite might no, run no. Wall Street, but the average American, there's a, there's a Donald lot of Trump, people that Donald have Trump, money invested. Donald Trump 401ks, is, teachers, Donald Trump is big pensions. business. It, Donald Trump is big business. That's no. who he is. So, but that's not going to last. It's up and down already. It's, and, and the other thing is, he's a Republican, right? But he believes in protectionism. He's yes, a season store in foreign markets. That's one of that, the reasons. That, that's bad business. One of the reasons I didn't want to vote for Donald Trump mm-hmm. is because historically he's been a Democrat. And he just changed his tunes because he wanted to run. He couldn't well, run as a Democrat. Listen, listen. He, he could Donald only Trump run as a Republican. Not, Donald Trump is an opportunist. Exactly. And, and all, would, and all, and as I'm, many all people are. Is, but, he's not, but, but he's not a hero. He, he's mismanaging the economy. And that's going to be shown very short period of time. I, I would, but, I but, you know, we're, we're both entitled to our perspectives. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, I would okay. disagree with you on okay. that. All right, so let me go to uh, Gabriel Neela. He's actually running for district, I think it's 46, for state representative. So, Gabriel, welcome to come and talk it, sir. Hey, Michael, how are you, sir? All right. So, you know, what's your take on this? You know, are the Republicans getting the bag wrapped from the Democratic Party? Yeah, to some degree, yes. And, I, and I'll put it to this way. I don't agree with everything that the, that the Republican platform stands for, and I never have. Um, when I was when I was mistreated by Democrats because I was a single dad taking care of his daughter, you know, raising his daughter on his own, um, trying to work two jobs and trying to do what I can to uh, help her out and help myself out. I was told, no, you can't do this because you're a male. When I went to go out, ask for help, they're like, no, we can't help you because you're a male. When I was uh, dating and I was dating uh, people of color, you know, people who did not look like me, I was admonished by Democrats for saying, you need to stick to your own kind. When my daughter was dating uh, a, a young black man from, from where we live at, we were admonished, admonished also. They, we were being told, you can't do that because she's Hispanic and he's black. 
And I'm like, this isn't right. I go, I'm not, I'm not worried about the color of the skin. I'm worried about the in- integrity of the man and the integrity of the family. And we spoke to the family, and they were great people. And so I'm like, it's about my beliefs. And for me, when it came to the party platform, I always, I always looked at three things. It was about life, liberty, and opportunity. If I can meet those areas, I'm great. Everything else is open for, for debate. So for me, when I left the party, back when, I, when, when uh, the divorce papers signed, were signed, sealed and delivered in, in uh, 2000, it was, it was a breath of fresh air where I'm like, I can have viable discussions without being ostracized for the things that I do in my own personal life and for the decisions that I make for my employer or for my employment. Look, uh, that's your personal point of view. But I, I'll still okay. say, though, if you're talking about the party itself, you have to assess this entire platform and how it's affected everybody. I would say, for example, Bill Clinton, despite his personal choices, under his policies, black folks had tremendous gains and home ownership and those kind of things. So a lot of it's economic. That's why I don't label all parties the same. I just think overall, from my perspective, in the law of large numbers, I'm going to embrace the current platform, which is democratic, until I see something better. You certainly can't give me Trump based on what, he, uh, what he's doing. And again, we have a right to our own choices, but in the law of large numbers in the entire country, that's why most minorities, black folks definitely included, are not going to embrace your platform because it's, there's nothing there based on practice. Uh, and that's a historical and, argument, and, that, and it's also a current argument. You show me something that's fair and based on equity that creates equal opportunity, I embrace it regardless of the party. But I don't see that, and that's, so that's why I do what I do, especially when it comes to racism, right, and, and that, racism and discrimination. Look at the current president, and look at the Republicans saying nothing about his racism. The guy called a black woman a dog. So I'm just saying, you guys are too silent on racism. So, show me a social policy that condemns racism, and I'll, I'll talk to you. But I don't see that, and I don't sense why, that. Why would you say he's racist because he called her a dog? I didn't. I didn't. I gave you one example. But that's, Trump's policies for the past 20 years, even as a Democrat, were racist. In, in Central well, Park killing, when he did a four-page ad against black young men, Trump has been racist. He called Africans SH head countries. But, so his policies against black and brown folks are racist I, I would, across the board, including Hispanic people. It's I not would one argue thing. that he doesn't speak tactfully because tactfully? To, it's <laughs> okay. worse than that. I would agree. Oh, okay. I was just trying to think of a nice okay. way of saying it. Okay. But, you know, he called this woman a dog, which I totally disagree with, but he called Rosie O'Donnell a fat slob, I think, or maybe worse. So I, I think it, it doesn't, it's not racist. It's just the man doesn't no, speak no, no. politely. Think, think about this. <laughs> Every time it's a black person, it's low IQ. Check this out, okay? Dom Lamont and LeBron James, low IQ. When you find white people talking about low IQ, that stuff is historical. Trump has used racist comments across the board against black and brown people. That There's no getting around that. That's who he is. Now, I'm just acknowledging that, and I'm going forward. But we know, yeah, who, we know who he is. I, I just, I, I will pay more attention to that because I, I just feel like he says bad things about a well, lot of different well, well, people. He, he, not he does, just, and does. I'm not saying that's correct that he does that. Well, I'm just saying I don't well, think listen, I've noticed that it's He's the president of the United States. He, he said any, the same thing to African nations, to Haiti, to Puerto Rico. It's not going to work. That's who he is. Right, we, we know come, that by now. We come back from the break. We're going to finish this conversation. Hold on, Gabriel, because I'm going to let you come okay, back in as it. soon as we come back. You know, the Republican platform is, is just like any platform. is not perfect. That's why you have conventions so you can change the platform. Also, you know, you have under Bill Clinton, you have more blacks have been incarcerated under Bill Clinton than the other president. So well, we got a problem well, there. Him, hold, him but hold on. Hold on. <laughs> and then, you know what? You know what? President Trump, he actually, you know what? Al Sharpton marched with Trump. Uh, Jesse Jackson marched with Trump when it come when it came to 
you know, him saying, you know what, we need to do something about police accountability. He marched with the black community during that time frame before anyone thought of him becoming president. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk It. This is Maj Toure. You're listening to Come and Talk at Radio with Michael Cargill. Listen to Talk 1370 anywhere with your Amazon Echo. Just ask Alexa to play Talk 1370. Now playing Talk 1370, the right choice. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now here's Michael Cargill. All right, so now it's time for me to go to my happy place. May, may I say something? Go for quick? it. Go for it, Janai. Um, Skip Davis, who commented, my name is Janai, not the blonde. <laughs> and um, I'm not sure what I'm oblivious to. Could you enlighten me, please? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right, so Gabriel, go ahead. I, I, we, we cut you off there. You wanted to finish oh, no, anything you want to say. Oh, yeah. No, no problem. And, and I'll put it to this way. I don't have to agree with, with the whole platform. So long as I meet my, 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 my inner beliefs of those three areas, I'm fine with the whole, with the whole thing. Everything is up for debate when it comes to the platform. You don't have to, you don't have to be a, a person to say, well, I believe in everything in the platform, because if you do that, then you are not following what your inner, you don't, you're not going to be able to follow who you are, and you're just going to be oblivious to everything else that's going on around you. Now, I'll put it to you this way: when, when uh, Mr. Linda, you were talking about uh, the home uh, home purchases and um, you know being high in the, in the African American community, if you recall, um, through that area, we had the the addition of the subprime mortgage, which allowed people to go ahead and go with fluctuating rates. Which I'll, I'll be honest with you, I almost went to one of those in, in, when I was living in Nevada, and I would have lost my my home in that part. And we saw all the effects of that bubble. Uh, in 2007, 2008, when those subprime mortgages were, were being affected. In addition to that, as, as uh, Michael had mentioned about the, uh, about the uh, higher incarcerations uh, in the black community, if you recall also Hillary Clinton and, and uh, Bill Clinton, when they were talking about the increased uh, law, law reform where, where people were getting arrested, they were calling them, they were calling minorities super predators just because they were just because they were in possession with a small amount of drugs, and they shouldn't have been having them, and they were doing other other actions that caused them to face higher incarceration incarceration rates, which I, I'm personally I personally think is wrong, and we're on this process of trying to change that. Where for me, working at an alternative education program campus, I work every single day to try to end the school to prison pipeline with these students, and we found a way to do it where we can try to effectively end it. But no one else has wanted to talk about Here's it. Here's what I found, I found ironic, sir. Let me just say this for a second. You talk about Bill mm-hmm. Clinton. You never talk about mm-hmm. Newt Gingrich. This guy and Ronald Reagan, they're the one put the contract on black America. All Clinton did was reinforce it. So if you're going to talk about Hillary Clinton, talk about Newt Gingrich and what those guys did. I'm, I'm, I'm not excusing anybody for listen, listen, I'm not excusing anybody for racism. But when you miss and don't mention Newt Gingrich, I, I have a problem taking you seriously. Look, there's racism in both parties. There's no doubt about that. Let's be clear about that. But don't tell me about Bill Clinton. Don't mention Ronald Reagan and Newt Gingrich because they brought this whole process into reality. We fought for years, sir, to end the criminal justice racism. We do it every day. Regardless of the party that's practicing this stuff, we condemn racism. And see, that's the difference. I don't protect anybody. I I call Bill Clinton out. There's plenty of racism in the Democratic Party. We're trying to nullify a sandpipe regardless of the party. This ain't just a party fight. So as a black person in America, we get it from everybody. That's why. 
we're going to pick the best choice available. And like I said before, give me a better platform. I'll take a look at it. So far, I don't have one. I can tell you right now, neither, neither any of the parties, none of the parties that are out there right now have a viable platform that will suit every single person at all. I can tell you that much right now. I'm not asking because that. It's not I'm, I'm saying you pick and choose. I'm not saying that, sir. I'm saying there's no perfect platform, but there are some right. things you can choose. You mentioned prime mortgage, and well, look, that was a banking industry scandal. We tried to address that, and we did. Nobody else did. So what I'm saying is not the whole platform. What works and what doesn't work? You pick what works. You don't base the whole platform. I'm not. I'm not right. holding to the Democratic Party. They don't. They don't own me. I talk about them all the time. You hear me a while ago about the ten-one system. But if there's something good, I'm going to try to embrace it, regardless of the party. And I understand that completely. And, and I've read the platform for the Democrat side, and I'm not. I'm not very impressed with the stuff that it, that helps me out to become a successful person and to be able to be to look at other people and say this is going to be the best for you when it's to opportunity. Being able to say, I need help, let's go ahead and help you out. That way you can stand up on your own two feet. I'm not seeing it in, in that side. And, and I'm just and I'm just calling it on that part because of my personal beliefs. And you know what? What I'm not seeing is I'm not seeing that racism from the Libertarian Party. So, you know, maybe we need to start voting for, voting for some Libertarian candidates. Uh, uh, we, 2020. We, 2020 will be the day. <laughs> well, and one of the things I, that we are trying to address within the Libertarian Party is, um, you know, uh, diversity within the party. Uh, we feel that our ideas are great and that they would help out everybody. Uh, but it does tend to, I mean, I'm even just as an age, there's not a whole lot of diversity in age. It tends to skew uh, very old. I tend to be the youngest person at anything that I'm involved in with the party. So, And maybe uh, the libertarians can give us some balance. That's I think that's that would be a great Not thing. All, as well. Don't go all libertarian because there there are some crazies over there. I'm gonna keep it real. <laughs> yeah, there's a whole bunch of crazies at the libertarian party. Let me tell you. You know, so we can't go all libertarian. We can get one, two, three, maybe four, max five. That's it. That's all I can take. Outside of that, you know, you got some crazies over we, there, and they can't control themselves. We're, yeah, we're we're no different than any other party. We got our crazies. Our and s- don't call me. Don't send me a Facebook message. Don't call me at the office. I don't want to hear what you have to say. You are crazy. <laughs> you know, when I think about the libertarian party, I think. About about Thomas Jefferson and a copy of the Declaration of Independence where he drew a line when it came to black people. He drew through the rights that we were supposed to have as people. And that's kind of still with the test of time is that when it comes to black people, all these parties tend to hedge. But had Jefferson got it right and included black people, we might not be having this conversation. But given American history and the current reality, when it comes to black people in this country, all these parties hedge. And we have to be conscious of that. I'm, I'm not, frankly, I like some of the, the the libertarian platform. You guys are the best independents on the Constitution, but unfortunately, nobody's addressing Trump. I wish i see more of that. Uh, I mean, you're good on the Constitution. We were all good on the Constitution, and dealt with racism, this would be a better country. You're the best independents on the Constitution, but how about your social policies and equity? How are you going to address that? And I can assure you, historically speaking, if you can address social equity and these other issues, folks are going to listen. Trump is a Democrat who's trying to be a Republican. That's probably why no one in the Republican Party is even saying anything to him a little bit. <laughs> Seriously, I mean, that's why I say it. He, to me, he comes across as being a Democrat that's really trying really hard to be a, a conservative. You know, that's just me. He's given more money to the Democratic Party historically than any other party. Yeah. Well, maybe true, but right now the Republicans are protecting him, and that's, that's the kind of reality. I mean, he's the president. I mean, well, that's, that doesn't mean he's supposed to protect you as your president. Who said that? I'm not saying it's the right. That's I, I, typically I, what people do. I'm not saying it's That's part of our right problem, right. though. If the president's yeah. wrong, he's wrong. He, is he above the law? No, yeah. nobody should be above okay. the law. Then, then what are we? I, I, 
No, it's I, just I, the way people are, I think. Well, that's what white people are, really? No, yeah. no I, I, I really Look, don't I'm, think I'm we just, should say the that, way white that, people that, that, are. That's, that's frightening. How about what's right and what's wrong? No, I agree. There's just not enough people that, that stand up for what's right. Well, what are we going to do about that? We I need, need, I need to some help. continuously need... do things, yes, but it's not just a white thing. You shouldn't say that. Oh, I said that? I, no, you said that. No, you said white. <laughs> you shouldn't say let's, that. Listen, whatever's worth, stereotypical. <laughs> I have a lot of white friends, okay? That's not the issue. But white people too often are silent when these things take place. I, I that's, agree. That's what a lot I'm of saying. people. So exactly. we need you to speak up and show your commitment. And you're not doing that. Whether it be the Austin City Council, by the way, which is mostly Democratic, and they're terrible. Uh, they, don't, they don't say anything. Look, I, I think we need more libertarians in Austin government. We can talk about that. And if you check around, they know me pretty well. Pretty well. But I need a social policy based on civil rights, based on the impact of, of institution and structural racism. We have to address that. No, I, I couldn't agree more. I think uh, one of the things that we're lacking in the political sphere as well is consistency uh, across the board. You know, people are willing to bend on principles when, you know, it's their guy or it's yeah. it's they're the ones in power. And your principles don't get to be your principles when it's advantageous or mm-hmm. or good for you. Sure. It's your principles, even when it sucks. They mm-hmm. have to be your principles. Are you guys running candidates for city council this year? Uh, yes, we are. Uh, why, don't you, why don't you give me a call off the air? Okay. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, because we need some fresh. We need some fresh voices in there, boy. Let me tell you, that ten to one, they're killing me. They're killing me. On you know, that's why we're taking them to court at every turn, and we're winning court cases left and right. I got a big court case that's going to court against the city of Austin in September, right around September the fifteenth, September the sixteenth. We're gonna we're gonna take the city of Austin to court. We're gonna win again, <laughs> and it's gonna be be a big, huge case that's gonna affect the entire state of Texas because as we take down the city of Austin. Every other city municipality will fall in line and 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 and, and lock in step. I, I promise you that. And we're definitely going to take them down. It's going to be a big, huge takedown. They're going to lose millions of dollars in this lawsuit. I promise you that. And so we'll see what happens in September. And I'm sure they're going to appeal their case to the next level. And we'll take the appeal and we'll go on forward. But we're going to win this case you know, because uh, we're on the side of right. They're on the side of wrong. And we're going to continue on. But um. Hey, Nelson, how can people find you? How do people find the NAACP? How do, if people want to get involved with NAACP, how do they help? We have a website. It's um, naacpaustin.org, naacpaustin.org. Our phone number is 512-476-6230, and we're at 1709 East 12th Street. I've been there since 1963. Wow. Oh, wow. So we're, we're the embar- experts on what happened on East 12th Street in East Austin. I'm embarrassed to say that was before I was born. <laughs> <laughs> I was born in 69. I was born in 58, so it kind of almost got me too, but that's where we've been. So, so we've seen the experience gentrification. We've seen these things change, and we're still there. We're still fighting. But look, i got to say this. You know, I'm saying the, the party affiliation. I also think that if we get beyond that and have conversations, for example, who really is Michael Cargill? Who really is Nelson Linder? That's what I'm asking. Oh, going. I would agree. I, I, you know, even as a female, we I, I've experienced um, people treat, not right. treating me the way I would like. Right. I think it, it right. it's not limited right. to African Americans. Well, well, I think well, we need well, to stop doing well, that. Just well, you have to understand the black experience, though, because it's disproportionate. Oh, but what I'm saying, I, though, I would what agree I'm saying, what I'm saying, though, this polarization is not going to win for anybody. We no. have to address that. And if there are good people out there, I have a hard time even dealing with that right now. You need to stand up and be counted. Mm-hmm. Well, something is wrong. Yes, That's what I'm really sure. saying, okay? Mm-hmm. 
All right. So blacks, you know, are leaving the city of Austin because, you know, it's a Democrat controlled city and they're not feeling the, you know, their worth. They're not leaving those Republican controlled cities in the state of Texas. They're only living, leaving Austin, the Democrat controlled city. Uh, you know what? And I don't know what it is. You know, some Democrats seem to be oblivious to the fact that Bill Clinton got a blow to talk about Donald Trump, you know, who's, you know, seems to be out of control on Twitter. You know, no one's above the law. We have these issues on both sides. What we need to do is come together, figure out how we can solve some of these problems, and maybe we should pick and choose our different candidates. As always, more guns equals less crime. Go out and buy yourself a gun. You've been listening to Come and Talk It with Michael Cargill. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.